Chris Watkin here, joined by Peter Rollings, um, the ex-MD of Foxton's and Martian Parsons. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Peter. Pleasure. Um, I'd like to interview you about your story as an estate agent, both man and boy. <laughs> so, um, mm. when did estate agency come into your life? Wow, that's a good way to start. Well, as I often say, you don't wake up on your sort of 17th birthday and think, I'm going to be an estate agent. I don't think. Well, I didn't anyway. Um, as I, th I guess with many people, I fell into it. I um, believe it or not, I was selling fish <laughs> in a place called, well, in London. Um, in a, Biddingsgate? No, God no. In Chelsea Farmers Market. All right. Yeah, okay. Posh. Um, and my job was to get in at six in the morning, kill and gut. 200 trout, bite them out to restaurants, then go back to the shop where they had a swimming pool and uh, someone would come in and say, I want that trout and haul them out, knock them on the head, gut them, kill them, kill them, gut them, get them out. And the reason I did this job was because it, it came with a flat in London and a, a company moped. Brilliant. Got me to London. Uh, farmer's boy. Never been, really never been to Where London. Whereabouts are you from? West Sussex. Okay. And you just genuinely got it because... You yeah. used to, your family farm, were they animals or was it arable? It was um, a bit of both. Uh, we had uh, 55,000 chickens, broilers. Okay. Uh, we had arable and we had some um, cows. And what made you want to go to London then? Uh, well, I've got two older brothers. Um, one had taken over the farm, so that wasn't coming to me. And I, you know, farming's a lovely life, but I mean, frankly, bluntly, I was interested in money. Um, that was, that's what did it for me. That's money what... or what money bought you? Well, at the time, money. Okay. You know, I didn't really know what money bought me because I never had any. Was it a lack of money that drove you? Because that's quite often what yeah. drives people. Yeah. You know, I mean, normally farmers are normally quite well no, off, aren't they? No, my, ten my dad, they were tenant farmers. So, okay. you know, there was no money. Um, and thankfully so, you know, if I wanted money, I'd work on the farm or get a local job or do stuff. But, you know, I used to do all sorts of crazy things. We used to, with a mate, we, uh, we used to buy up Triumph Herald's and break them and sell all the parts at car, car boot sales. I mean, some of the stuff we did to make money was just, you know, what kids did in those days. Was it the thrill of the chase of earning the money, though, that excited you as well? <laughs> um, possibly. I don't know. I, mean, I never, never thought about I mean, it. how old were you at this point? You know, when you were breaking 18. Up, you were, I mean, were you doing your A-levels or college at this time? A-levels. Okay. Which I didn't do very well in. And was it at the end of the A-levels you thought, I need to go to London? Um, no, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I, went, I got a, something called an English-speaking union scholarship to go to America. So I was at school in America for a year. Is this after 18? After 18. I wasn't clever enough to go to university. Okay. Uh, I, was, I didn't so want to So how did you get either. the scholarship then? <laughs> I wasn't, it didn't, you didn't have to be clever. You just had to be a sort of ambassador for your country. So it was a, it's like an exchange program. And I went to somewhere called the Hill School in Pottstown, um, in Pennsylvania, which was incredibly wealthy. I mean, um, off the scale wealthy, boys only, which was a bit of a disappointment at the time. Um, but it was fun and it was great. And, um, and I came back and then I did the season skiing, didn't know what else to do. And then I got this job. Uh, I bumped into someone in a tennis tournament in, in, in Cranley and he said, look, I need someone to run this for me. Why don't you do that? So I did. <laughs> then is how I get to a state agency walking through the market one day. I got chatting with all sorts of locals. This old boy, and I'd love to know who it was, walking through the market one day, he gave me an what advert. What year was this? Hmm? What year was this? 82. Mm -hmm. 82. Tough market at the time. I, well, it wasn't where I went because I, I got this job. Um, it was, he, he literally ripped a bit of paper out of the States Gazette, I think. And it was with a company called Lane Fox and Partners. Oh, yeah. And it was really posh, unbelievably posh. Um, the head office was in uh, uh, low, uh, where was it? Upper Audley Street. No, not Upper Audley Street. Anyway, North Audley Street. North Audley Street, just off Grosvenor Square. Um, there was seven of us, and I was the only one that hadn't been to Eton. Selling country houses from London. It was a beautiful, wonderful lifestyle. We went out to see these incredible farms and country houses every day, or once a week. Um, and I was earning three two fifty a year, no commission. And um, you had to basically have a private income, which I didn't have. So we were, you know, £254 a month was my paycheck. 
Um, and you said no commission? or No commission. No. I was the office boy for three years. And I started doing my ROCS because I thought that's the way I wanted to go. So I got partway through that. Day release, evenings, weekends. Miserable. Um, and, uh, and then I was given a, a, a contact of a guy called John Hunt who played squash with a very good mate of mine. And he said, um, he said, look, this guy's an, Im an impressive bloke. And he was, how old was John at the time? He was probably late 20s, I suppose. Um, yeah, late 20s. This was when I was 20, two or three, I suppose. Um, and I uh, interviewed at, at Foxton's and I got, uh, uh, Lane Fox was nine till five, five days a week. It was so... And, but I was working hard doing my ROCS. Um, but, and Foxton's was a different world in so many ways. It was unbelievable. How big were Foxton's at this time? I joined in the Fulham office in December 85. And how many, and how many offices that was the second. it? Second? That was the second. So we, they launched, launched in Notting Hill Gate in 82, I think. And were, you know, they, they transformed the market. They were, they were incredible. They'd gone, they were nine till nine, seven days a week um, in a market that was nine till five, five days a week. And, you know, <laughs> we were brutal. <laughs> what, what, was, what was the culture like there in the 80s? I mean, there's lots of stories out there. Mm. It was pretty tough. You know, it was pretty tough. We, we were, you know, I joined in Fulham and it was the first time anyone did 0% commission. And so um, we had 390 instructions in the three months of zero commission. We had boards everywhere. We owned Fulham. We were the 45th agent to open in Fulham. And after three months, we were the number one biggest by a long, long way. And I got an ulcer in three months. Uh, and it was so, so, so stressful. You were, you either, you were nine till nine. Uh, and you either worked Saturday or Sunday. So, um, Did you enjoy it? You were, you were nagging it. at this point. Yeah, I loved it. It was, it was what, what did after, you love about after it? After Lane Fox, it was so exciting and vibrant and... You know, it was so different to anything I'd ever done. And, and I, I'm a very, very competitive person, ridiculously so. Where do you get that from, your mother or your father? Probably my mother. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know, really. Um, but, you know, sport, I'm a, I was big on sport, cricket, football. Um, I'm a... Whatever you do, you have to win. Yeah. Yeah. Almost at all costs? Yeah. And if I don't, I got really upset. <laughs> I've grown out of that a bit now, but not much. Okay. So... <laughs> When did you go out valuing? Oh, not for ages. No? I was negging. And, you know, that was the thing at Foxton's and, and should be in, in, in any business, in my, in my view, is you'd send your very best person out valuing. You don't let any Tom, Dick or Harry or Harriet go out valuing. You send your best person out valuing. So in Foxton's and in Marsh and Parsons, actually, the value was the manager only. And, and so I was negging. I was selling uh, two bad flats in Fulham. And was this the time of the minis? At this, have we no. got to the minis? No. No, that minis was mid-90s, I should okay. think. Okay. So, yeah. And, and was, it, was this the time of the, of the offices that looked like the, the bar? Or, no. But no. still the... This was the time of flying a lot of boards, <laughs> which we did. You know, it was the Wild West. It was, you know, incredible. You know, there was no laws. It was... Yeah, it was the Wild West. We were massively, massively aggressive. Too aggressive? Probably, but you know we. But what was the culture like with inside the team? Young, always young. You know, you, you don't. We got through a lot of stuff. You can't. You can't work those hours. And in fact, probably eighty six, seven, eight, we dropped the seven seven days a week. We certainly dropped the opening hours by an hour, nine till eight, <laughs> and then I think it was ten till five on a Saturday and Sunday. Because we just couldn't, you know, people were blowing out, burning out left, right and centre. Do you think you lost some good people? Of course. Yeah. But, you know, like anything, one of my boys has just, not just, he, he was at PwC. And uh, he was brutalised for two years. And, and so my point is, lots of businesses do this. And, and if you don't push your staff and see what they're made of, then you'll never know what they're made of. So Foxton's was the... Well, it probably wasn't. It definitely wasn't the first, but we really push people hard to see if they okay. rise up. And if they didn't, you know, they're not tough. It's a tough job, our job. But just opening, you know, stupid hours and and doing zero percent fees. There's plenty of other agents that are not not at the time. 
Not at the time. No way. Nowhere near. They were, we were loathed in the industry. Every, I mean, I remember sitting in the Knightsbridge office and you know, I'd be sitting there at seven o'clock at night and I would very, very often get a, a call calling me every name, every name under the sun. You were almost the mill wall of estate agents. Yeah. The, or we'd like to call the Goldman Sachs of estate agents. Everyone hates them. Um, and, you know, but we, we, we sort of wore that as a badge of, of pride. You know, we didn't want to be, you know, um, you've heard the story before about what we, you know, it was, if it was under off re it didn't stand for estate agent, it stood for enemy agent. Under off re was, you know, and then we would go hammer and tongs to get that back under off with us. Um, you know, we were hyper, hyper competitive and probably too aggressive. But um, we got results. And, you know, if you think about the Foxons brand, the Foxons brand is all about you may not like them, but you've got to instruct them because they're going to get you more money than anybody else. Do you think the Foxtons at the time realised that their vendor was the client and sought everyone else? Completely. You say we used to we go to war for our clients, was what John used to say. Talk to me about these caps and... and, and, well, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, we had so many brilliant competitions. Um, interestingly, when I, I, I spoke about this a while ago and I was sent a photograph of the caps by um, someone I, I used to employ and he still got them. He, he picked up a box of them. Anyway, they were caps, baseball caps, and uh, different colours with different names on them. And we, we ran a monthly competition. And when you hit a certain amount of deals, you got sent, delivered, a cap. So the first one was probably, um, I've, I've no idea what it said, but it probably said um, star. Uh, the next one said superstar, the next one said God, the next one's the demigod, then God, and then, you know, all these sort of things that you would, you, would, you would be proud to receive in the office to show to your colleagues how well you're doing. And obviously that's combined with the, with the whiteboard okay. in, in the offices. I don't know if everyone has whiteboards now, but if they don't, they're kidding themselves. The whiteboards were the most important thing in any Foxen's office, and Marshall Parsons, actually. I mean, I've even seen some estate agents where the whiteboards are actually on public display. Yeah, I worry about that. I don't think that's right. We used to have a, if it could be seen, we used to have a screen over it in the evenings. Um, and why do you think whiteboards, is, is it accountability? Yeah, no hiding place. There was, there was, there was no hiding place at Fox and for anyone, not me. Okay. Uh, as, as a, I was a neg and then a manager, I ran the South Kent office for eight years and, you know, I was... Absolutely. I mean, my, my record month for valuations was 185 in a month. And yep. so I literally used to run in, have a look around, five minutes, it's worth 250, and then leave. And unless they called me, they'd never hear from me again. And Different market. You, you could, could you do that today? No. Nowhere near. No. And rightly so. You know, you have to work hard for... But we did, you know, we had created Cause, that cause, brand. Because you, you're quite famous. Well, you, sorry, not you, but the firm were quite, and still quite famous for the fact that what they charge. Yeah, because we could. Because we should charge like wounded rhinos, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do, because they get more money than anybody else. Now, whether they do or not, I have no idea. But we, we, um, we worked extremely hard to create that brand. And, and you know, I, I speak to a lot of people about this. A brand just doesn't come because you're nice to people. It comes because... You go out there and whether you call it go to war with, I'm not sure. I probably would. I mean, a lot of people say that you, you do business with a brand, with people that you trust. You don't necessarily have to like them. Exactly. I'll, I'll say that. You, don't, you probably shouldn't like your estate agent. But you really want to okay. understand and trust that you, he, is, he or she is going to get you more the money than anybody else. How do you square with the fact that most estate agents, in terms of their personality type, are people, people, outward going, that wants everyone to love them? Mm -hmm. um, how do you square, you know, by the sounds of it, you don't tend to, that, that those people wouldn't necessarily be attracted to. Well, it helps. I mean, I'm, you know, uh, I want people to like me. Uh, everyone does. It's, it's human nature. But I, frankly, if they don't, it doesn't worry me too much. And, and I, <laughs> I probably view that as their problem, not okay. mine, frankly. And how do you learn that skill? Because there's plenty of people watching this. You know, when they lose a valuation, it's like a, sta a dagger through their heart. And yeah. How? Well, you, you know, you, you, um, you, you work harder. What's the saying? Um, don't, get, don't get cross, get even or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you chase that valuation and you absolutely go out to prove when you call them in two weeks saying how many, how many appointments have they had around. That's the way to do it. But most agents, I well, they don't even ring up. Them. Exactly. 
I don't think they wait for it to see on right move and then mope around and haven't got the balls to pick up the phone. Uh, well, you said it. I mean, they're pathetic. I mean, if, if, you, if, if that's what you do, you don't deserve to be successful, frankly. You just don't. And therefore, you know, this, <laughs> you know how to be successful. Lots of people know how to be successful. It is okay. not, a, it's not a difficult job. It's a simple job. But people don't, most people don't do it very well, which is great for the ones that do. Do you think there's a certain sense of entitlement, especially in the younger generation? Of course. That, that their parents have told them they can do anything they like and yeah. they get prizes for coming in eight? Yeah, of course. I you know, I'm of that era. Um, if, you, and, you know, if you don't deserve to get paid a lot of money, um, well, you, the only way you deserve to get paid a lot of money is if you're very successful. It's just you don't get prizes for turning up. And there's a lot of that at the moment, isn't there? Well, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been out of the business now, running a business for five years, believe it or not. But I think there is. But, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to say good companies interview me. I'd like to think me. I interview people that, I, that, I, uh, that are presented to me. I hire them if I think they're good. If, I, if they're not good, I get rid of them and fairly sharpish. Most companies don't. They move them to, to another thing that they might be good okay. in. So, you know, one of John's favourite expressions was don't move a problem. Almost always, not always, but almost always, if, if someone's not good in a sales role, they'll never be good okay. in a sales role. Okay, so hire fast and, and, and sack faster. You've got to give them a chance. And, and I will always give someone a chance if they're trying hard. But you can tell when someone doesn't give a shit, frankly. You, they don't turn up on time. They're scruffy. They're, they're just... They're just going through the motions. And frankly, that's the sort of person that will never change. So you need to get rid of Did them. Did you learn that? Or is that just a skill that you've got an innate? Got I, think, I think it comes from my competitiveness. You know, if people aren't competitive, then not always. There's no, there's no black and white here. You know, not always, but usually okay. they won't be successful. You need to be competitive. So you were uh, running, uh, you were branch manager for, you say, eight years? Eight years. And, and when, when did you move up the, the ladder after that? Um, when was it? Uh, I, I was, as I said, I was running South Ken, and then we, we were growing quite quickly. It wasn't as quick as, as, as they've done recently. But anyway, I, 97, I was made MD. I was 10 officers. Did you go from branch manager to MD in one yeah. go? Yeah. Why do you think you got chosen? Well, obviously. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to think I'll it was fairly bloody obvious, so, thank you very so much. Humbleness is a skill of yours, <laughs> is it? <laughs> As my brother said, you've got a lot to be humble about. Um, <laughs> um, humility, too. Yeah, quite. No. Um, well, I pushed for it, obviously, because John at the time was, you know, running around like a blue-arse fly. what year was this again, sorry? 97. 97. Okay. So we were 10 officers, um, turning over about 10 million. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was... How was, the how was the change from running a branch to running 10 branches? How, how did that work? <laughs> Well, it was a real, I was so thrown at the deep end. And, you know, you, 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 I was a manager and I was a good manager. I, I am a good manager. I can understand people and I can, I can be very direct with people and I can be very empathetic with people. I would say that's more leadership than management. Possibly. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we there you agree. Go. So, yeah, so what, what mistakes do you think you make? What, in hindsight, what mistakes? You know, there's got to be people out here that go from branch manager to area manager role. Well, you wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I certainly wouldn't recommend making someone an MD of a £10 million business straight from a, you know, I knew nothing. I was a, I was a manager of an estate agency office. But I did work closely with John. You know, John has been, was my mentor for 20 years. And, you know, we, we got on most of the time and, and didn't on others. He was a very hard okay. taskmaster. But he, he wasn't the sort of person that would sit me down for a week with him and sort of, you know, I learned as we went along. I would, um, you know, we would have literally corridor meetings where he would call me and say, well, I think this, this and this is going wrong. Okay. Go do it. You know, a lunch with John would be, <laughs> we'd go to a Pizza Express. Uh, it would be always the same. It would be waiter or waitress would come up. We'd say, he'd say two pepperoni pizzas, two Diet Cokes and a bill, please. <laughs> and was Chiswick? open at this you know Chisholm park no we moved from no um we we had this amazing office in um in uh, Knightsbridge in uh, park lane uh, which was fabulous um and then which and in the basement was all property management and accounts and that sort of stuff and we grew out of that and then we went to a six thousand square foot office in um hammersmith because we thought we're growing we need to move mm -hmm. and we grew out of that in six months so this was um 
Yeah, this was, I suppose this was 97, 98, because I'd sort of freed John up. I was running the day-to-day -day and he was free. You know, it's, it's the same old thing, working in or on the business. He freed him up to work on the business and, there, and therefore we absolutely had exponential growth. And that because he wasn't dealing with, with floss, with the problems with the all maternity that, leave. All, all that the... rubbish, which then I was. I was his sort of bag man, if you like, um, and, and got on and run. But, you know, he was the, he, he was the, the inspirator behind the marketing and all that sort of stuff. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, was a del I was a deliverer. Uh, and then we, we then, you know, uh, we moved from 6,000 square foot office to in, in Hammersmith. And he said, I'm not making that mistake again. So he got Chiswick Park, which was 40,000 square feet and 1.8 million pounds a year in rent. At that stage, that is a ballsy move. He was, he had this balls was in the late 90s. steel. Yeah. That's a lot of money then. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of money now. Yeah. He had, he got rent free period, obviously, but it was, you know, he knew he was a real futurist. He, he absolutely, he told me things were going to happen years before they happened. Like right move, for instance. He knew right move would be a problem for state agents. Problem, stroke, godsend. Yeah, you know, whichever way you look at it. It's, it's level <laughs> the playing field for state agents now. It's not, you haven't got to go finding buyers. It's all about getting vendors, isn't there you it? Go. Yeah. I just want to go down the rabbit hole of Chiswick Park because one of the things I've been told is, is, is the date, you know, it's all about data. Mm. You know, and you know, you talk to the to the futurists like Mark Burgess from Iceberg and and others. It's you know, agents are sitting on so much data, and it's what you do with it. But if you don't mind me saying, you guys were doing it twenty years ago. Yeah, that, that's what I meant. He, he was a futurist. He really saw. So he understood the the value of data. And I remember we got someone called somebody Cherry. She was a very she was a great girl, uh, and she was a specialist at running call centres. And he got her in very, very early on because he knew that that was a call centre. And that's what it is. That's what it was. We called it new business. We called it client services. But all their role was take it all away from the front end. You know, when I was running South Kent and doing 180 valuations a month, do you think I ever called any of them? Ever? No. You know, I'd get to A or B and then stuff would happen and I'd, I'd, I'd stop. So we took it all away from them, gave it into these people. And that's when the business went... Because this business is all about stock, all about stock. You've got stock, you'll, you'll attract the great salespeople, and you'll do lots of deals. That's it. Why don't you think many estate agents have, I know they call it client services department or just new business departments. Why do you think most estate agents don't have those things? I have no idea. I talk about it till I'm blue in the face. It is, it it is the so holy obvious. grail. I mean, you know, frankly, they, they could start like that tomorrow. And they could start okay. with their current staff by doing a call out between 6 and 8 in the evenings. But they want to go home, don't they, at six o'clock? So you give them a little bonus, but you give them a ten, ten quid bonus for every valuation they get for, you know. Because, you know, it's like letting agents, they probably have just about 50, 60% of every landlord on their database because they've applied and, yeah. you know, NEGs are very good at archiving. You, you're sitting on so much data. Mm. It's the value it, of the business. It, it, it's almost people are only interested in the now and the long term is the pipeline. Well, but that's why that's what we did. We took it away from the people who are only interested in the now because frankly, if you're paid on the now, why the hell should you be interested in the, in the future? And, and negs and, and managers are only paid on the now, frankly. Yeah, well, why, so, so why would they give a toss about anything that's gonna happen in three or four or five years? So we took it all away from them to client services. We called it client services. We had 108 people in that department when I left, um, nurturing nurturing, calling, calling out. They had desks of, of eight or ten and a screen over the desk and it showed how many calls they were, how many calls they were making, how many, how many valuations they were booking. And it was just, it was nurture. You, you know, if you didn't get the valuation on the first one, don't worry about it. Just keep putting in the system. Cool. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Yep. So in essence, what you're trying to say is this, that probably negs and valuers are the worst people to, to nurture because you're paying them on the now yeah. and you sure must have separate people. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're not going to waste time in the day to call people that might or might not sell in three years' time. And do you think agents should be doing that, to, but then they won't get the business now, because, but then they're short-termism? Is that, is that the art? Yeah, you have to think long, longer term. You have to think longer term for your brand. You know, you're not going to build a brand known for something in a, in a month or six months. You've got to absolutely okay. live and breathe it for a period of time. I have no idea what that period of time is. It's at least a year to get known okay. for something. Do you think, and that came all came from John and his futuristic, let's play the long game? Yeah. So he gave me instructions and I carried them out. 
um, you know, I'm doing myself down a bit. I, I obviously came up as, as I got better at the role and understood the role a bit more. I introduced things that I wanted to do. So you became MD in 97. It, you, you, you did really well. You got through the two, early 2000s. Mm. But then you decided to leave and set up your own it. Yeah, well, I didn't, I, I didn't get on with John for the last two years. I, I felt that we were... We, we, it was probably too aggressive uh, and too unfeeling um, for me. I'd probably grown out of it, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, that was the toughest time of my year, of my time at Fox's. I was there for nearly 20 years, and the last two years were fairly miserable. Um, Do you think, I mean, he, he went, he, he sold the company in 2007. Do you hmm. think, he'd, knowing what, I've never met him, but he was probably thinking about that in 03, 04. And... Yeah, but he, um, he wouldn't have got anything like what he got. Uh, we employed someone called Michael Brown, who was the former COO of Enron Europe. Now, Enron obviously has a very bad rap. Uh, it went bust in a spectacular way, but Enron Europe didn't. And Michael was um, extraordinarily clever. He's just a, a, a brilliant guy. And he transformed Foxton's um, from a sort of a very successful, leery sales company into a proper business. When did, when did he come on board? 2002, I should think. So he came in, in as COO and I was MD and John was chief exec. So, so I was pretty much sales manager, frankly, sales director. You know, that was my role. Um, uh, yeah, and that's what I mean, I what changes did they make to make, but, you know, it was a, they just, it was a it, hundred, it was the whole a, thing grew up. It was three, four hundred million, wasn't it? Three hundred and seventy million. Which is a lot of money. It for is, but, you know, agents. interestingly, when we sold Marsh and Parsons, um, I was chatting with the people that we used at Corporate Finance House. I won't tell you who they are. Um, and Foxons had been there in sort of late 90s, and they were talking about a valuation of 50 million. So it, do you think a lot of it could be sentiment in the terms of, you know, because of the brand and the, and the value you know, the, that you created, that there was an extra value there, you know? Yeah. You know, almost what Purple Bricks had when they were a billion pounds. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just sentiment. I mean, they had the numbers to back it up. The numbers were extraordinary. You know, the South Kent office used to turn over 5 million in sales and 6 million in lettings. What 11 million early, uh, late, early 2000s. You know, the market's different now. I mean... Yeah, but that, that's, with inflation, that's knocking on the door of 17, 18 million pounds today. Exactly, yeah. From think, one office. Yeah. You know, we had enormous, enormous amounts of stock. You know, we, I mean, Islington, we had over 500 sales and lettings instructions, so 1,000 instructions. We had teams of 25 or 30 people in each department. But not every Foxton's office was running at that level, no, was it? the volume ones were. Was there almost like some crown jewels and then... Yeah, Notting Hill, South Kent, Islington, the volume offices. But, you know, volume doesn't, doesn't happen now. You, you don't know agent has 150 instructions now. Most agents have, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, max. I don't so, know where the volume's gone, but it's gone. So you, you, had, you had, you know, in terms of the relationships with, with John, I think, you know, that things weren't particularly working out particularly well. Yeah. Did you think to yourself, I'm going to set up my own agency, or were you just thinking, well, I'm in a good job? <sighs> that's, that's a really interesting point. I think um, Foxons was a cult. Uh, and and when you you know enemy agent yeah when you were in Foxton's you were so blinkered, um, and that was my job to make people blinkered frankly and tell them there is nowhere else. These other guys are muppets. You don't want to go anywhere near them. They're useless. They're fat. They're lazy. They don't charge enough fees. They don't have much stock. You'll hate working for them. And sort of I did lived and breathed that? that. Did you believe yeah, that? I did. So when did when when did the <laughs> when did the scales come off your eyes? When I left. Yeah, you know, I, I liken it to sort of being like this, and, and suddenly I leave and I look around and think, almost like that. It's almost loads like the, of stuff out here. Almost the hoodwink taken Pretty off. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I just I wasn't enjoying it. I decided to. I, I went. Funny enough, I went to Australia to to talk at, uh, at uh, with a guy called John McGrath, uh, mm -hmm. who runs McGrath, who's a brilliant, brilliant agent, and he invited me to talk at the principals conference in. Um, what was it? North Queensland. All right. And it was, um, you know, so I flew out there and talked for, you know, 
two one and a half hour sessions about the culture of Foxtons and the brand of Foxtons. Okay, nice um, holiday. Oh, it's holiday. Nice gig. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, sitting in the audience was a guy called a brilliant guy called Mark Fitzgerald, who ran Sherry Fitzgerald in Ireland. And they're almost of, like the Savills of Ireland, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're brilliant. They're a, they own they own twenty nine offices in Ireland, and then they have another hundred and something or hundred ish um, franchised. So they are. They're the daddies, aren't they? 100% brand recognition in Ireland and a, a brilliant, brilliant business. Anyway, so um, Marx came to me afterwards and said, you know, why are you doing this for someone else? And you know, it comes back to the being blinkered and cultish. I, I, I certainly didn't think I could do it for myself. Did, was it a light bulb moment or did, it, yeah. did you go away? And... Well, you know, no, uh, when you've been somewhere for 20 years, you don't think, you, you know, is it, is it nurture or nature? You, you, is it me or is it the company? I didn't know. Uh, and you need that confidence. And Mark added that confidence. And to cut a long story short, we, I, I had identified Marsh and Parsons as a, it had seven offices, six in the Royal Borough of Kensington, Chelsea. It could not have been a better fit for a, for a central London brand. Were they up for sale or did you go knocking? No, I went and knocked. Yeah, they had been up for sale for, for on and off for years. They, he, was sort of, okay. he was sort of renowned for backing out at the last minute, the owner. What did you say to your wife when you said, I'm going to give up this fancy job? And I'm sure it was a well-paid job. Quite well-paid. It, it, wasn't, it okay. wasn't nothing like people are getting these days. I'm not going to tell you how much. But, you know, again, Foxton's was, you earned your money. Um, and I wasn't on commission as an MD. And John owned 100% of it, of the equity. And that was, that was part of the problem why I left. Because, uh, and to be fair to him, he never said he'd give me any equity. So, and he didn't. And he didn't give anyone any, any equity. So, you know, he was... He was tough like that, but you know, absolutely no complaints. I, 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 I worked there um, knowing that. But most people's um, expenses tend to rise in relation to... Mm. I wasn't earning a little amount of money. I was earning quite a lot of money. No, but what did, what, did you, what did your wife say? You would have had your boys at this point. How old were your yeah. boys? Decent, probably mortgage as well. Yeah. Huge Where were you living? Huge mortgage. Um, million pound mortgage um, in Sussex. By that stage. Wow. Yeah. So I was commuting. I was leaving the house at quarter to six every morning and driving to London. Were you a good person to live with at this point? Of course I was. <laughs> there's no, that, well, there's yeah, that humility kicking yeah, in there, yeah. Peter. Well, she didn't, didn't see much of me, it must be said, because I left the house at quarter to six and got home about nine and then had supper and went to bed. So it was a pretty miserable lifestyle. But okay. I was still absolutely... Uh, I'm a big okay. believer. If you're doing something, you've got to do it all in, all in or all okay. out. But you know, Mark Mark Fitzgerald came to you and said, you know, he was. I'm assuming you would have put some money in yourself. Yeah. You were you surely you were you were worried that you had this million pound, which mortgage. was a lot of money mortgage to pay for. Yeah. <laughs> None of these silly little interest rates we got these days. Um, well, of course I was worried. Ninety-seven. But, um, that would have been seven or eight percent. No, it was two thousand and four. Two thousand and four. So it's still well, five or six. Yeah, it was a big. It was horrible. Um, but. You know, it's what you do. You've got to, you know, you've got to... I've Did you have any sleepless nights? Brave. Oh, God. Yes, of course I did. Okay. And, and, and big time sleepless nights in the, you know, seven, eight, nine recession. Um, oh, yeah, it's horrific, horrific. But anyway, so, um, well, I mean, I got paid to be at Marsh and Parsons. Obviously, Mark, you know, paid me, paid me a salary. Um, that was part of the reason for leaving. I said, I've got these outgoings. I can't just sort of up sticks and work for nothing. So, you know, Sherry Fritz are a proper company. So you, but you did get some equity in it, didn't yes. you? Let's touch on 0708. <laughs> Can you remember the, the, everybody just basically said everything just dried up. Mm. Was it like, mm. was that, was that what it was like? Yeah. 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 We had, um, you know, part of the Foxton's thing was we had Friday meetings and at Foxton's we had a Friday meeting at seven o'clock p.m. every Friday, and the whole company got together and shouted out the numbers that they'd, they'd achieved in the week. The seven fan? No, in person, in, in person in Knightsbridge, in Park Lane. So we all met in Park Lane, and obviously when we got much bigger, because you know I, I, I increased the numbers of offices massively. So, um, and then we got bigger, and we had area Friday meetings, but it was every Friday, weekly, every Friday. Everyone got together, all shouted out their figures on a big board, and and as I said, no hiding place. So you couldn't, you'd come to that meeting and say, it, it wasn't an aggressive meeting. And there's lots of, of um, stories about the beat up meetings. It was never beat up. So you've got the you've got the board at the office, but then the branch manager's got to go to the big meeting on a Friday. No, no, the whole company, the staff as well. 
Oh, every single one. That's quite clever, if you don't mind me saying. It's brilliant. It's genius. And that's why I did it at Marsh and Parsons. It was, but I did it monthly at Marsh and Parsons. Anyway, so, so we had these Friday meetings and everyone shouted at the figures and it was never, oh, that's a shit month, a shit week. What have you, what have you been doing? It was hard luck, better luck next, next week. And so all the figures came out. How many deals you've done? How many, how many uh, under offers? How many exchanges? Um, that's, uh, that's about it. So it was quite simple. Bang, 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 bang. On, on it went through. And then we had a, a drink afterwards. But at Marsh and Parsons, we had it uh, monthly. We were smaller. Last Friday of every month, the whole company. The only way you could miss it was to call me, and I'd say no. Um, and you what time was this? Well, it was six o'clock on a on a the last Friday of every month, PM, in a hotel, in a big ballroom type place. Uh, originally, it wasn't. It was in one of the offices on a whiteboard, and I literally, you know, we had twenty odd employees and. Mm. Up it went. Um, but what sticks in my mind in the recession is that we had about a million pounds a, a month run rate on the business. I, it cost us a million quid just to open the doors. And um, I shall never forget it. And uh, everyone shouted out their figures. And it was £247,000 we'd, we'd made that month. So we had lost £750,000 that month. And, you know, I felt like screaming and crying and shouting. And, you know, obviously I said, Tough month, lads. Next month we'd be better, but let's go to the bar. That was frightening. Did they know that no. three quarters of a million was no? No, I never told anybody anything like that. No, no. There's no. There's no point worrying your staff. In fact, I think it's a disaster to tell them bad news. The whole raison d'etre of the state agent is to be upbeat and absolutely up and at them. And if you're telling them that you're on the verge of bankruptcy, guess what? They're going to either bugger off or they're going to be very worried and concerned about their jobs. So how, what outlet did you, did you use to, to get rid of that stress? I mean, how, how do you, you know? I'm quite good at dealing with it, I think. Um, I, I'm quite sort of, I'm incredibly pragmatic uh, to, to a fault. No, I'm, I don't think I'm stoic. I'm pragmatic. So if there's, if there's nothing I can do about it, I, say, I, I, I won't worry. And to be fair to Sherry Fitzgerald, they wired a million quid over to our bank account the next week. You know, they were magnificent. And even, you know, uh, Ireland was in, in dire straits. But they were brilliant partners. Um, wonderful people, great partners. So, you know, they kept it going. They, they had 75% of interest in the business. So... You know, they, um, they had the majority, the lion's share of the business. Do you think those challenges, both at Foxton's, but also now you're next on the line because it's your own business, made you a better man? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's what happens. You know, shit happens. And, and either you give up and start crying or you battle through. And uh, I battled through. Obviously, I felt like crying quite a lot. But, um, but if you show that sort of stuff, I mean, obviously, I showed it to... To my close partners, Lisa Jane Kelly was my sort of number two at Marsh and Parsons, and an investor, and um, she was was and is just a, a brilliant person. You know, she 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 would um, help me deal with that sort of stuff. So you got through you got through the 0809 crash, and then you went and decided to sell it to LSL for just over fifty million in mm. two thousand and eleven. Mm. Was that always the plan to sell? No, 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 no. No, I have no regrets. I, I, one of my things in life is never look back, so I have no regrets. But um, Sherry Fitz would, would you know, the, you've, you've read about the Celtic Tiger and how disastrous it was in Ireland. And so, you know, they, they needed, they had a lot of company debt and they, they wanted to sell. So, yeah, we, I mean, we bought Marsh and Parsons for two and a half million quid in 2004. We then bought Vanston's, 2005, sorry. We then bought Vanston's in October 2006. We then went through the recession and we paid two and a half million for Vanston's. And um, uh, we then went through the recession. But what we did, we, um, we sort of, we did all sorts of things, the branding, the way we paid our staff. So that, two, that uh, five, six and a half of seven was unbelievably successful. We went from um, a turnover of, Two and a half million to eighteen million in, um, not in a in a short space of time. And did you did you use what you learnt at Foxons with the client services department? Yep, all of it. Well, I learnt the bits at Foxons that I wanted to. I, I learnt everything, but I used the bits of Foxons that I, I thought would, would be effective and successful, and okay. left so, aside some others. So, so basically, a decent client mm -hmm. services department. What else? 
Um, pay your staff correctly, all personal commission. Um, I mean, <laughs> Martian Parsons was like walking back in time. It was like, it, it was like going into you know, something out of a Dickens novel. It was extraordinary, okay. you know, uh, terrible, terrible, or zero processes, pathetic commission spare, uh, shares. You know, everyone got a bit of something, whatever they did. Don't you believe in pooled commissions? No, I don't. I, I, I know some people do, and good luck to them. I, I personally don't. Um, it, uh, but it has to be carefully managed, really carefully managed, otherwise you can get some bad behaviours. You've just got to manage those bad behaviours very, very strongly. Okay, so uh, client services department, a posh word for a business generation nurture system. Yeah. Um, individual commissions which are policed well, what else? Um, very, very hands-on management. Um, both uh, myself and Lisa Jane, you know, I would be incredibly visible in the offices. I'd go to every office every week. I'd sit in meetings. I'd understand. Um, you as the boss would be in every, every office every week? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, when we got to... 25, 27 offices, that was, at Foxton's I did that. I had an eight o'clock meeting every day, every day. And on a Friday, I'd have a driver and I'd go to as many offices and show my face for 20 minutes, half an hour and chat and see and well done and good for you. And that's looking good, that board or what's going on there for uh, as many offices as I could between seven in the morning and eight at night. You don't mind me saying that's quite simple yet yeah, must be very effective for the it's boss man it's a simple business it's a really simple business and you know john had me and and i am when i want to when i do something i cannot do it half-heartedly so i'm either as i said earlier i'm either fully in or i'm out and so when i'm fully in i am there 24 okay. 7. i mean if you don't mind me saying you know whenever your word name comes up with past employees there, there is a certain amount of love there. And again, let's see some humility now. Well, obviously. <laughs> no, well, I, I mean, there I get, is, though. I get on with people, but I, <laughs> you know, my, my, my nickname at Foxham's was, was Pistol Pete um, because I had to get rid of a lot of people, a lot. But I believe sincerely. But that, did you do it in the right way? Exactly. How did you do it? Nicely. You're in the wrong job, mate. You know, I, so you can I, still make the tough decisions. Yes. And that's the, that's the key. You, you, anybody who says they enjoy firing people is a sadist. You know, it's a horrible, horrible job. You're spoiling people's lives. You're changing people's lives. You're probably not spoiling them. Because frankly, as I've often said to, to, to people who sort of have a go at me about it, I said, you know, am I going to fire people that I think are any good? Of course I'm not. They're in the wrong job. They're not being successful and they will never be successful. I am freeing them up to find their thing and this isn't their thing and so you know I, I did get rid of and I'm still pals with lots of people I pals will be a strong uh, you know I'm still friendly with um, lots of people yeah. I fired I had John Cook boss man of EPROP yes uh, he he made he fired me 10 years ago and you still like him well, he, I thanked him for there you doing go it. there you go you're in the wrong job I was in the I was definitely in the wrong job at the time yep yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, a it's a good thing to do to get rid of people that aren't really good. And you know, you, you can you feel good with yourself about getting rid of people who are poisonous. You've got to get rid of the energy suckers in life, because you, you know who they are. The people that just yeah. suck the energy out of a room and are always negative. Get them out. However good they are, get them out. That's about to say, other the, people the, doing there's it. There's plenty of agents that employ a red shit hot valuer that basically are almost like a cancer in the in the business. Got to go. Got to go. You're right. It's quite simple. You've just got to put it into effect, haven't you? Yep. Yeah, you've got to do stuff and not put it off. As I said, I'm incredibly pragmatic to a fault, <laughs> probably. And, uh, and so I, when I know something needs to be done and I think, well, pff, of course it's got to, that's got to happen. Of course it has. It's that and that and that. You've obviously got to think about it first. Yes. But when you do decide, gone. But most estate agents, the type of personality it tends to be attracted to a estate agency, they don't want to offend people and they don't want to let people down. Well, I don't want to offend people either. Uh, you know, I am, I'm a nice person. Well, they want everyone to like them, and I know we've <laughs> talked about this before. Yeah, well, everyone, like, everyone wants people to like them, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, you, you, it can't be to the detriment of your business. And, you know, I, I'm a proud bloke. If you're, if you're letting people down because you're, you're too frightened to deal with this issue that is as plain as plain can be, on the, it's very, very um, uh, uh, common that when I got rid of someone in an office, people would come to me and say, what took you so long? You know, they know. <laughs> Even Pistol Pete? Yeah, yeah. Were you quite chuffed with that name? 
No. No, as I said, anybody who, who thinks that firing is, you know, makes you powerful is... It's no, a, but, but it's not a good the, thing. But at the end of the day, your staff that were remained thanked you for it. Mm. Uh, and the, the, the counter, the, the, the mirror image of that is, if you don't, they think, oh, pathetic, wet, you know. They're not doing what they should be doing. They're not doing what bosses do. Um, how did you keep your motivation up during the four-year earnout? That's quite a long earnout, if you mm. don't mind me saying. It is. Um, well, we, we did, I mean, we sold the business at 13 offices. It's so only 13. Um, and we had a, at the time, we had, uh, where we had about a 6.7 EBITDA. So we were very, very profitable. Um, and um, my, my focus, my task to have on my earnout was to open a lot more offices. So we opened four offices a year for four years, which was incredibly tough. And opening an office, I, I never, they were all greenfield offices, i.e. banks or, you know, shops, um, that we then refurbished. And, and we spent okay. a lot of money refurbishing because that was our branding. We were top end. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, you know, there's been some absolute horror stories with, with corporates buying, you know, the, the countrywide deal on Green & Co was just atrocious. Was it? Well, in terms... In terms it was of great for David, <laughs> I'm sure it was. But in terms of you know that brand's gone, the, yeah. you know, they've just been amalgamated. You know, yeah. well LSL. Uh, were, LSL were no, that's good. my that's my point. Yeah, is this is did LSL let you get on and do it? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, they were they were they were good. I mean, you know, I, I it was it was incredibly frustrating coming from a very entrepreneurial. If I want to do it, I'll do it. Uh, which which it was what M and P was. Yeah. You know, Sherry Fitz were. I won't say sleeping partners, but they were very, very, um, it's up to you, mate. If you want to do it, pretty much get on with it. You know, yep. Send us the numbers. And if they're anything, anything approaching uh, uh, achievable, get on with it. Shoot yourself. You know, shoot, shoot, your light, shoot the lights out. And, and LSL, obviously, being a PLC, weren't. And I, being, the PLC structure is, is very um, frustrating and annoying. Um, uh, and it stopped me doing stuff that I wanted to do. And I'm not good at being told I can't do something. <laughs> <laughs> so you did your four years. Yeah. You, you opened the offices. Yeah. And then you basically retired out with a nice lump. Yeah. What did you go and do then? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it was, you know, I mean, it was, I was richer than I ever thought I would possibly be. So, okay. you know, so I had, um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, you got your money. I got money. Which is what you said at the start. Yeah. Yeah, and so in a in a funny way, <laughs> this is a, this is like being on a bloody psychiatrist's couch. In a funny way, it robbed me of my um, of my aggression, of my push, which I it's slightly up. Yeah, well, you can't possibly be upset with making a lot of money, okay. but what it did was change my. You know, I was always absolutely okay. there, and then I probably wasn't as much. Was it the thread of the chase? Probably. It's a bit like my father says with cars, is, is that, he, you know, it's the thrill of wanting it, not necessarily owning it. I know loads of people that bought, always wanted fancy cars. When they bought them, they got rid of them after a few months. Mm. And now you've made it. Yeah, possibly that. But, you know, it was, you know, I had more money than I ever thought was, well, I could possibly have, you know. Okay. You know, I didn't buy Marshall Barson thinking, I'm going to make millions out of this. I bought it to sort of say, well, I'll have a go and see what happens. So, I mean, you, you left there in 2016. How old were you then, if you don't mind me asking? 54. So you've still got a good 10, 15 years left. Yeah. Too, right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. but, you know, um, what am I doing? I... Well, that, you're not 54 now. You're 54 then. I'm 59. You're 59 now. Yeah. So you've been doing some um, non-executive roles and, and yeah. joining a few prop tech firms. Yeah, I've been doing you... quite a lot of investment with that. I, I don't just join them as I invest in them. And then uh, I, I, I joined some as a, either an advisor, a, a board advisor, or an NED. Um, so I've made lots of investments in things that interest me, like prop tech, um, um, financial tech, fintech, um, uh, some, um, uh, some good things that uh, are helping. Uh, I invest in something called Beam, which is a, a brilliant thing, helping homeless people become get jobs and be trained and stuff. It's, so it's not just selfish. It's not no. just selfish. But, you know, <laughs> I, I have always been about the money. So, you know, I, I, I like to be able to think 
that when I invest something, it is, it is going to make money. But that's not the be all and end all. Um, you're a non-executive director for Vuba with, yeah. with Ed. What made you join that? Uh, well, I've known Ed for years, as, as, as you know. He's a sweetheart, isn't he? Yeah, he's a sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a great guy. And, I, you know, Ed, I, he and I battled with uh, Dougs and Gordon were sort of, was, again, the antithesis of, of Foxton's. They were very nice um, and very effective and yes. very good. Um, different markets. Ed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> different markets. Um, and then he came to me this idea, and my initial thought was, no. Do you know that's exactly... Yeah. I, I thought, what a load of rubbish. And then, I, and then he explained it to me, and I thought, ah, I get this. It's very so clever, isn't I've it? I've invested quite a lot of money in it, um, and, and I, think, I think it's extremely good. I mean, we did 9,500 mm. appointments last month. You know, that is a business that is, is going places. Um, I always knew it wouldn't be that successful with traditional estate agents. Um, I think the idea behind it is, um, or originally was, you know, to take estate agents doing the 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. appointments or the Sunday appointments. And, you know, that's a bit of our business. But there is um, uh, lots more coming down the line, I think, especially with all the EXP and the, uh, all that model and obviously the, 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 the strike. I mean, Strike are our biggest customers there, a brilliant business. Um, but I think so. And we've got massive. We've got 85% of the auction market now. So there's all sorts of other verticals that I know will be successful with, with Vuba. And uh, you've joined Peter Knight with the Property Academy. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's the you switch on that one then? Um, I really enjoy talking to businesses about their business and seeing what they're doing right and seeing what they're doing wrong and just making suggestions about how they might do things slightly better. Um, you know, working in London is a whole different ballgame. You know, London is a market within a market itself. But, and so some of the things I'm going to I come up with don't bear any relation, but a lot do. Because it's, as I said, it's... Still selling and buying and selling houses. And it's the vendors. same business forever. And, and I think some of the things that I talk about will make a difference. The, the difference is most people don't do it. They, they hear about it and they think, well, that's a good idea. And they don't do it isn't that in all aspects of life yep yeah i mean i bang on constantly about the use of video and yep. personal branding and 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 grow, you know growing that way and i give people so much advice but i know damn and it used to screw me up where, no. where i think it's great i i do and, and that's why i say to people you know estate agents is such a brilliant job uh, my first boss at lane fox all those years ago he said peter you can be good at this because 90% of the competition are completely useless. And sadly, 30 years later, 35 years later, still true, isn't probably it? true. And it's really sad. But, you know, people bumble on and make a bit of money and, you know, and that's fine if that's what they want to do. But there, are, there, are, there, is, there is room out there for someone to, to really set the world alight in each particular area. Um, and, and it's great for them. It was great for me at Marsh and Parsons that, you know, most of my competition were just sort of, doing okay and not really they didn't have a, a well bluntly a me to really really push them and do you think it's because most people have come up through the ranks of being a neg value a manager and never actually taken a step back to be trained and mentored and guided probably and and, and be shown the way yeah but then made accountable to actually do it because you can be shown like you say you can be shown how to yeah do it. you see I, I i think most most business owners well, they either do it themselves or they become too successful and take the money and spend, you know, a month in Spain um, during uh, hot seasons, I, I hot selling seasons. They should be, you know, I never did that. I never, ever, ever took a three-week holiday at Foxons or Martian Parsons, I don't think. I probably, I did a three-week in Australia over Christmas, but, you know, we were closed for two of them. So, you know, as, as I said earlier, I'm absolutely either I'm in or I'm, or I'm not. But if I am, I'm there. And I don't take the piss with, with taking a month off or six weeks off. Or, you know, I don't, it's fine if you want a lifestyle business. Great. But if you want to, to, to set the world alight, that ain't going to work. And uh, what about the next five or ten years? Where, where do we see Peter? Hmm. Um, well, I think, I think much the same. I, I mean, I'm really, really enjoying my life. I collect cars. I collect classic cars. What, what, um, what you went to? Oh, God. I've gone completely mad. I've got all sorts of lovely classic cars. I'm not going to talk about them, but they're beautiful. But, and again, is it the thrill of the chase of buying it or owning Both. it? Both. I drive them. I drive them a lot. I drove, I drove two yesterday. 
Um, so I've got seven or eight classic, lovely, beautiful English and Italian 60s mm. cars. Lovely. Um, and and that's so your, that. is that your obsession? Pretty much. Because I'm a firm believer that every man should have an obsession away from yeah. work and, and home. Yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with that. Yeah. And I, I now learn a lot about them. Um, I've, I've always, I, was always, I was always into modern cars. And to, I'm not really now, I must say. I mean, I, I, would, I have no aspirations for a modern Ferrari, for instance. None at all. I would hate one. Okay. Um, but old 60s, I, think, I see them as works of art. I think they're completely beautiful. And um, your, your wife and family, where, how old are your kids? Uh, two boys, 28, 29 and 27. Well, um, one works, you said, for Price Water or still No, no, he left that. that. He left that. He couldn't bear the corporate life. So <laughs> he... Uh, with his best mate from school, moved to New York to set up their own recruitment company, which they did. They then relocated just before um, a lockdown uh, to LA. And now they have a very successful company. I would say that, wouldn't I? But they are. They're growing quickly called InVenture. And it's InVenture Recruitment. And they, they pretty much specialize in renewables and finance. Okay. So, um, and, and, and so that's going great. And your other son? And my other son is again in recruitment. Um, Not a state agency, surprise no, me. No, Did you I put think, them off? <laughs> well, I didn't, but, you know, the recruitment, I didn't know much about recruitment. It is the DNA between recruitment and property is like 90%. It's incredible. Yes. Incredible. You're not the first person to say that. No, I bet. Uh, and I, I love it. And I, I spend quite a lot of time chatting with Charlie in, in L.A., about how to, you know, what to do, how to pay his people, how to motivate them. You know, he's, he's just put a whiteboard up in the office and I, you know, I want to see how many calls they're making because, again, no hiding place. For salespeople, it's important to have no hiding place. Uh, but Will on the other side, Will is working for La Fosse uh, recruitment in, um, in London, uh, tech recruitment. Um, and again, he's, he's, in three years, he's done his three years of tough, tough business. Um, and is now sort of reaping the, the rewards. So I'm, I'm very proud of them both. And, and my long-suffering wife yes. <laughs> is, well, you know, she's, she's seen me for the last five years. And, uh, she's not bored of you and kicked, well, kicked you know, out there you get go. to I don't, know. I don't think so, no. Yes. No, we get on very well. And we've been, I've, we've been together since we were 18. So. Childhood sweet spots, that's nice. Exactly. Next door neighbour. Really? Oh, Next door nice. farm. So country girl as well. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Is your mum and dad still with us or...? Mum, not dad. Okay. And she's, she's not on the farm anymore? No, no. My, uh, as I said, one of my brothers took the farm over. So, okay. Yeah. And work-wise, where do you see yourself in five or ten years? I'll do a bit more. I'll do a bit more NEDing, I think. Um, I'll, uh, do you like going in there and, like, you know, giving your opinion out? <laughs> yeah, I'm quite opinionated. What's <laughs> it wrong with that? Well, I know. I have a slight problem with being an NED because the clue's in the title, non Executive and um, have you ever stepped the mark? Do you think? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I was an NED of Sherry Fitzgerald for three years, and uh, Mark Fitzgerald <laughs> took me to one side uh, at one time and said, "Pete, you're a non-executive." <laughs> but I, <laughs> if you know what you know and it's it's worked and it's and you've done it and then and you you advise them what to do and then they don't do it, it I find it very frustrating. But I think I've learned now to sort of bite my tongue. Um, and just work on it in another way. I, as I said, I'm very, I, I, I like to get on with stuff. I don't, leave, I don't like to, think, to sort of drift, and, you know, drift on. If, if you know it's the right thing to do, you've got to get on with it. You're almost like a completionist, aren't you? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to start and you've got to finish Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. And if I don't finish it... Do you think that if there's, is that your superpower, do you think? Uh, possibly. I'm very, very, very impatient. Yep. I've got to get on with stuff. Yeah, but there's a difference between impatience and completionism. You know. Okay, I'm impatient to complete stuff. And that's, so I, that's a superpower. Mm, well, that you that you recognise it. Let's get on with it. And let's get the bloody thing done. Well, if you if you say so, Chris, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, uh, in, the impatient bit has 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 enabled me to create. What, what I've done, which is build a business, and that probably build two businesses. And, and if, but I then you must have ultimate long-term patience. As well. you, you've almost got to be pa patiently impatient. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because, uh, you know, Joe, my wife, can't believe that I'm so patient at work, or was, and I was. I was incredibly. I mean, I so rarely lost my temper. I mean, I, I can probably count on one hand in, in the years I was there I lost my temper. But 
you know, when, when, I, when stuff doesn't happen, then I do lose my temper sometimes. <laughs> uh, Peter, thank you for your time today. Pleasure. Uh, it's been really insightful. I hope uh, the boys and girls out there in estate agency land have learned lots. I know you've been interviewed a few times in the last year, and I just wanted to get a slightly different angle. So hopefully we've, the boys and girls in estate agency land have learned a few things. I certainly have learned loads. So can I, can I say thank you for your time today? Uh, it's been insightful. What I'd like to do in separate videos, which I'll put onto my YouTube channel, is talk about specific topics that you're passionate about. Probably some things we've talked about today will we'll go a little bit deeper. So yeah. thank you for your time today. You've been exceptional. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks a lot.